0: Life is so much easier with a great sense of humor, and no one ever said it had to be rated PG. Sometimes it feels good to let out our inner smartass and drop a few F-bombs. Smartass and Sass is a subscription box meant for unashamed mouthy mofos.
1: Get your fix of brazen humor each month. Each box consists of one Smart and Sass t-shirt, between seven and nine unique items, like mugs, lipsticks, posters, et and it's valued at $90. I'm currently using my little... um. Miniature office supply kit. I love miniature things. It's got some staples, some post-it notes, paper clips. And on the front, it says per my last email, which is um, one of my favorite way to begin emails in a passive aggressive (laughs) form.
0: (laughs) hundred percent. And it's so great because it's great on the go. You can stick it right in your mm-hmm. backpack and take it with you. It also came with a little productivity pad that I've been using. It's oh, pretty, yes, pretty cool. Use code CREEPY for 15% off first-time subscription and shop orders. Cannot be combined with any other offer. One-time use only. And follow Smartass and Sass on social media for your daily dose of attitude. A college town is shocked by the heinous and violent murder of one of the city's most beloved journalists. For two years, the case was cold until an unlikely pair of suspects emerged. The only problem, there was no evidence linking either of them to the crime. Still, one of them confessed, leading to a years-long battle for justice. This week's episode is The Wrongful Conviction of Ryan Ferguson, Part 1. In the night, your heart fills with dread.
1: Immediately yeah. messaged you and said, "This is wild. We got to cover this."
0: Mm-hmm. And whenever I turned it on, I told you, uh, "Just a uh, warning for everybody. Yeah, if you want to go watch?" That was my Dr- bad, it my bad. No, no worries. I mean, I think you know me that I don't have any kind of, you know, I I can look at pretty heinous things and it doesn't necessarily impact me. But I turned it on with Leanne and Paris in the room, and the first maybe three minutes, mm. there is graphic crime scene footage, very graphic. It's not really blurred out. And so I would warn you if you go watch Dream Killer, which is a phenomenal documentary. I cried multiple times, I think, because I'm also reading Actual Innocence, the book. And this is, it just is another, Mm -hmm. another, another, another incidence of all the same patterns um, that happen in these cases. But uh, it was a a phenomenal documentary. It's, you know, warms the heart after, you know, after those
1: three, it was shocking to me that Mm -hmm. it just opened with that. Yes. And there was no. Um, the following images may be (laughs) upsetting to some viewers or Mm -hmm. something like that. So, yeah, and I even mentally was like, oh, I need to give a trigger warning to Heather when I tell her about this. And then I totally forgot, and now Leanna scarred for life.
0: <laughs> well, and it's not even your fault, too. Netflix. We, Paris goes, hang on, hang on. He took the remote and he rewound it. And you at the top, you at the beginning when the Netflix logo pops up and it says warning in the top right corner, mm-hmm. and it'll be like graphic image. This one just said language and smoking. Oh, they and needed Paris a goes, graphic uh, imagery. They left one. Yeah, they left one out that it was like violence. Yeah, Because there's also graphic descriptions of violence. And I mean, that comes along with the territory of, you know, true crime Mm -hmm. and covering a case. But in this case, it was more than just describing what happened or showing on a model. It was the actual footage, uh, which I think can, uh, it it was quite
1: shocking. It was, yes, and it can be quite triggering. So if you do go watch it, heads up that that is in the very first couple of minutes. But then it becomes very... um, heart-wrenching tale of a father's determination and struggle to free his son that he knows did not commit the crime that he's been accused of. And it is quite remarkable what a parent will do for their kid when they are in prison for murder and they know that they didn't do it. No, you're completely right.
0: As any parent, I'm sure, would do if you thought that you could save your child. Bill Ferguson becomes an expert in all this. And I think what made me cry is because, and I think I told you this, I just kept thinking he shouldn't have to. Like, he shouldn't have to learn this. He shouldn't have to put his career on hold. He shouldn't have to travel the country. He shouldn't have to become an expert in constitutional law and criminal procedure and knowing the case upside down, left, right, back and forth because he, I mean, he becomes like a literal expert on Mm -hmm. this. And I'm like, he should be going on trips with the sun. They should be playing basketball together. They should be having Thanksgiving. Um, He did it willingly, I'm sure. I mean, he was happy to do it to try to help, but
1: you shouldn't have to. No, and I think while most parents would want to do that, Mm -hmm. a lot of parents wouldn't, not because they wouldn't want to, but because they just wouldn't know how to go about it, and they wouldn't have the the means or the knowledge. So Mm -hmm. the fact that he really was like, well, he said that the day after he got, uh, you know, convicted, he's like, I got to get busy. And it was Mm -hmm. just nose to the grindstone from, from then on out. And he was a a tenacity that was very admirable. So, and also,
0: like you said, not many people have the means. He was a real estate agent, so able to work when he wanted to, mm-hmm. take time off, takes time to do it. You know, have the resources to do all this. Um, and not everybody. You know, tons of people are languishing in jail that their family members just have to, straight up
1: can't do that. Yeah, for so sure. You should. None of them should have to. No, but thank goodness that Bill Ferguson did because otherwise, mm-hmm. Ryan would still be sitting in prison. Yep. For a crime he did not commit. And it's this documentary really just shows how easy it is to be minding your own business. And the next thing you know, you're in jail for something you didn't do. I mean, I was watching it and I was just thinking, man, the cops could just knock on my door right now and Mm -hmm. say, hey, we heard that you were with such and such. We need you to come down to the station and answer some questions. And that could be the last time I see my kids and husband.
0: Mm-hmm. So I did a, in, in advance of this, I did a survey of my attorney friends and just started sending texts. And I just said, Hey, would you just talk to the cops? If they said that you were, uh, they were questioning you regarding a homicide, would you talk to the cops alone? And uh, the responses I got were no, hell no, fuck no, LOL. <laughs> and why are you asking me this? You know the answer. <laughs> so there's, you know, At all times, I always say, get a lawyer. Oh, I am a lawyer. Get a lawyer. And if any anybody tells you only guilty people get lawyers, they're full of shit. And go, uh, my friend Heather is a lawyer, and she told me that's not true, and that I should have my attorney there. I haven't killed anybody, and if somebody knocked on my door right now and said, "Come down to the station," I would say. Uh, I'm not coming willingly. Am I being detained? And if they arrest me and take me down, I am zipping my lip. You can scream in my face. You can say anything to me. I am not saying anything until the police. I mean, until my attorney comes. Where you get into an issue is somebody is 19. Yeah. Somebody has a history of substance use issues. 17 at is the time. Well, in nineteen, when they're arrested and have has an issue of substance use, has been using that day, so their inhibitions are lowered. Mm -hmm. You get me after some MCs. You never know. I mean, probably (laughs) I think my my instincts would kick in, but you never know. I have a couple of Palomas, some MCs. Right. Things start to get wild. Or Um, you just,
1: I mean, and they cop the cops don't know what they're doing. They're using fear tactics. They are screaming in your face. They're threatening you. They're lying mm -hmm. to you, telling you your friends in the other room they're about to flip on you. Your ass is on the chopping block for this you're terrified. You're mm-hmm. young. Or they come in with a police report yes. that goes, "Look at this
0: statement that says you admitted it to your friend. It's an official police report that we wrote that you don't know it's a lie."
1: And all of that is somehow legal?
0: Well, they got sued real
1: hard yeah, for it. So yeah, no. Yeah. I just
0: sat through it was a little bit older, maybe like 2 or 3 years older, but um, a CLE on Brady, which is we'll get into that in part two. It's real legally part two, but it was actually put on by the Texas Police Chiefs Association and Art Acevedo, who is a former police chief of Austin, was one of the presenters. He went to Miami and they had some issues, yada, yada. But he was like For a while he was kind of in the news a lot as being a really progressive police chief. And he said in his statement I mean his speech, and the whole thing was about turn over exculpatory evidence to defense attorneys. You're a state actor, police officers, turn it over, turn it over, turn it over. Anything that could possibly your your burden the state's burden of proof is so high. Anything that could help the defense, you have to turn it over. It's under the Constitution. Um, And he said, and I I love the quote, he just said, we're not here to make arrests and to get convictions. We're here to find out the truth. Mm -hmm. And you need to remember, it's not do anything possible to get that conviction. It is we're here to find the truth, turn it over to the defense attorney so that everybody's on equal footing and we can all find the truth together. And I think that's I, I like that idea. That's the important I think a new progressive way of policing, not just like, we'll just make up whatever and just get whoever. Cause now this, the victim's family is completely screwed. Well, not completely, but I would say at an extreme disadvantage because of what is, uh, been found by a civil court at the very least to be, um, nasty, nasty tactics. Mm-hmm. And then like with all wrongful convictions, a killer is still out there. Mm-hmm. And the, You know, you undermine everybody's faith in the system, everybody's faith in the prosecutor, who's now a judge, everybody's faith in the police department, which hopefully they've had some, you know, revamping of their practices since this incident, um, because it's definitely never fun to get sued for millions of dollars for what you've done.
1: No, that's never happened to me either, but I don't want any of these things happening to me. None of the stuff that's happened, except maybe go on The Amazing
0: Race. (laughs) I do want to do that. But you steal a decade from one person and now going on almost two
1: decades from another person. So. Well, we're going to get into all of this. um, Two parts. We're going to get into the background of these guys and the actual night of the murder in this one. And then the second episode will be a lot of legal stuff because there were multiple trials and multiple appeals. And then our favorite criminal defense attorney gets involved. Oh, big fan, big fan. Kathleen Zellner, super badass. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Ryan Ferguson was born in the Northern Territory of Australia on October 19th, 1984. His parents, Bill and Leslie Ferguson, had met over a decade earlier while attending the University of Missouri in 1972. After graduation, the two married and began their life together. They wanted to travel the world and decided to fly overseas. They rented a car in Amsterdam and set out on the adventure of a lifetime. After spending a year in Africa, the Fergusons found themselves teaching at an indigenous village in Australia. It was here that their daughter, Kelly, was born. A few years later, Ryan was born in northern Australia. Man, they lived a life back then. Dude, just going. I I am always so awe-inspired and envious of people that are... Like, yeah, fuck it, let's just do it. Let's just go, go over like- there we'll we'll figure it out we'll, I mean, we'll work when we need where we need to, mm-hmm. and yeah, he lied to a company that repaired boats and said he was a welder, so he could just well, I mean, we'll probably figure it out. it's fine, yeah, you just hold the metal <laughs> the fire against the metal and wear a mask, and it's then fine. they were like, um, you know, we could be a teacher at some villages and stuff, and they were kind of traveling through Australia and ran across a village that needed some, so they stopped there and then you your daughter's born i mean like that is all very courageous stuff to do mm-hmm. just when you're traveling overseas in a in a foreign country and what a cool childhood for your kids too that they're that i mean there's pictures in the documentary where kelly's just you know in a backpack on bill's back and they're out in australia just i mean those are core memories of of um that shape you and like Give you um, an experience that most kids do not have. Oh, yeah. And the pictures look like postcards. They're mm-hmm. just standing in the middle of a postcard. Mm-hmm. But they just
0: would go, well, we'll drive. And the truck broke down. So we stopped and we got a job so that we could make
1: money to fix the truck. And I'm like, you go where the wind takes you. Leslie Ferguson told the documentarians of Dream Killer that Ryan was a real easy kid to raise. She went on to say that Ryan was such a loving child. He, he would just come and sit on your lap and be comfortable there. Even during his teenage years, when most kids his age would find it embarrassing to show their parents affection, Ryan didn't, according to Leslie.
0: Ryan never really went through that. He would
1: always give us a hug. A lot of kids his age wouldn't do that. Bill and his son were especially close. As a child, Ryan often accompanied Bill on his work trips. The two went camping, fishing, skydiving, and traveled around the world together. Bill told filmmakers.
0: Ryan was a very curious uh, young man. He was very fit. He just... He was a great physical specimen, and that did not change. Yeah, it couldn't be said. I mean, he's uh just personality wise, fantastic. But yeah, he was athletic guy.
1: He's uh still is. I mean, we can say it. There's nothing wrong with saying he is very hot. He's very attractive. He's a handsome guy. He's a very
0: hot guy. Yeah. Um, he's uh works out a lot and in like I, I was telling Christy. Uh, the personality behind it too, yes. like a oh, good heart loves his parents loves his family that's kept even, his head above water, attractive yes loves to sure. read yeah oh yeah 10 out of 10 very um, smart but him and his
1: dad was that was their big thing was they play basketball together yes yeah and th- seeing the two of them in the home videos of skydiving and just being so excited and afterwards <laughs> Bill just goes up to him and gives him a hug he's like I've always wanted to do that with you buddy just, uh-huh. I mean, the the bond between them was so strong and it only increased once he was in prison because his dad just, I mean, worked day him. and night to, to get him out. Yeah. As did his mom too. Oh yeah. Well, and she,
0: it's funny cause they, it's, you know, you can't say, oh, one is more helpful than the other cause they both took kind of different right. roles of his dad took the, okay, when I'm upset, I work and I'm more productive. And she was a lot more, um, Wanting to like be empathetic with him, bring mm-hmm. him his favorite treats, like so it, they they each kind of took a different role that I mean I think were equally important. Absolutely.
1: Ryan attended Rockbridge High School in Columbia, Missouri. His former childhood friend Charles Erickson also went to school there. The two had been close as kids, but had drifted apart by their high school years. In later testimony, Ryan referred to Charles as an odd man. On October thirty first, two thousand one. Ryan and Charles's paths happened to cross at a party. They were both 17 years old and juniors at Rockbridge High. Like so many others in the college town of Columbia, both guys were making the rounds to different Halloween parties. When the cops showed up and shut the festivities down early, Ryan offered Charles a ride. He was headed to a bar called By George and asked if Charles wanted to come along. Ryan had no way of knowing that this kind gesture would forever change the trajectory of his life. Yeah, it was a pretty wild
0: Halloween night for Charles. He, um, I mean they were,
1: they were both, partying.
0: Well, and they're both about five six, weighed like 150 pounds. So drinks are going to start hitting you. He was smoking marijuana about three or four times a day. He told uh folks that he was snorting Adderall, snorting cocaine. Would you would use LSD? Would use mushrooms? was binge drinking. So it wasn't kind of like, "Hey, let's go out on Halloween, maybe we'll have one or two jello shots." He was going hard.
1: Yeah. And he had been having substance abuse issues since mm-hmm. he was 14. Yeah. So for several years this was kind of how he had been living.
0: And at that party, he said he snorted Adderall at
1: that party and was also drinking
0: mm-hmm.
1: and on cocaine. Yes. And uh, yeah. Charles accepted the invitation and the two headed to buy George. Despite being underage, they were granted access to the bar by the bouncer around 11.30 p.m. with the help of Ryan's older sister, Kelly. Once inside, Kelly bought the miners some drinks, an act that would later consume her with guilt. Ryan told 48 Hours that while he had a few drinks inside the bar, he was not drunk. Charles, on the other hand, was. He was also using cocaine and Adderall. Charles would later say that the combination of drugs and alcohol caused him to black out, a dangerous side effect that can occur from excessive drinking, where the person is still awake but is unable to create new memories. And I imagine
0: if you're on Adderall and cocaine, your body is going 100%, and your mind is just shut off. Which I think there's like a whole—I can't remember what stand-up comedian—but there he talks about living that life of like you're—you've now pumped your body up so where you're moving, it's like a puppet. But
1: there's nothing going yeah, on. Yeah, you're the mixing ears. uppers and downers, mm-hmm. so it's um, it's a wild ride. I have been blackout drunk before and it 100%. is uh yeah it's one of the main reasons i stopped drinking i'll have a drink occasionally but excessive drinking there is um apart from just feeling like shit the next day to not remember what happened is a very very unsettling and scary feeling and i hated it i would mm-hmm. absolutely hate Having to ask Tommy or someone the next day, like, did I do anything stupid last night? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and or just that shame you feel the next day of like, fuck, I know that I said some stuff that I shouldn't have, mm-hmm. but I can't remember what it was. Like, and you just get these bits and pieces of the night. And I mean, it's it's horrifying to think like I was wide awake and talking to people and mm-hmm. I have no idea what was going on.
0: No recollection. No, no and memory yeah. of it,
1: yeah. Rife for being taken
0: advantage of in a, a myriad yes. ways. And I think, like you said, you feel shitty the next day emotionally, but also physically. But also to me, I'm like, surely, I don't, I don't listen, I'm not a brain scientist, but I'm like, surely that's not good for my brain. No,
1: I, I can't imagine that it is. And sometimes I wonder, is that one reason I don't have a good memory? Like, because mm. of like, I mean... I don't think I don't think I've ever permanently damaged my but you don't know, you know? What I mean mm-hmm. like so yeah, it's um it's a weird thing the brain and um something that I don't want to mess with my brain, so that's one reason I stopped drinking in excess but you know, when I was 17, I that was not the case, so I I fault him not at all. Well,
0: and I think you don't do it because you think this is good for my. No, boy. no. Like he, I mean, he clearly had substance use issues yes. where it was an addiction situation. But it's uh, it definitely leaves you. In this case, we'll see long lasting uh, impacts mm-hmm. of what happened.
1: Missouri state law and city ordinance requires that all bars close at one thirty a.m. By George announced last call around one a.m and Ryan and Charles headed out at approximately 1.15. Cell phone records show that Ryan called his sister from the parking lot at 1.18 a.m. He then drove Charles home, dropping him off around 1.30. After that, Ryan headed home himself. Cell phone records show he made a few more calls between 1.41 a.m. and 2.09 a.m. He then went to bed, a pretty standard ending to a pretty standard Halloween night. And these are
0: important at later, you know, when you try to establish a timeline. Um, but in his mind, he wasn't like, I'm going to make these calls to show where I'm at. No. He's just living his life, making phone calls, not even thinking about it. But it's stamped in cell phone records. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have hard evidence of when, what happened. And also, as far as, uh, well, we went and hung out at the bar after one thirty. No, you didn't.
1: It closes at 1.30. They all do. They have record that it has by George was subpoenaed and said in their However many years they'd been open they'd never once closed after one thirty. I mean, mm-hmm. bars get fined for that. You you can't do that. So, yeah, all of these timestamps stamps become extremely important when putting together who could have been where when this crime went down. Sinister Hood will be right back. Uh, we're recording early in the morning
0: today oh, man, and we, we both are. we feel great because we
1: both got great night's sleeps on our healing. And I'll tell you season. what, I am going to be taking a nap after we <laughs> after we hit that, uh, that, pause, that stop button because I am very tired. And not because I didn't get a good night's sleep, because I was sleeping so hard when <laughs> that baby woke me up this morning that I was like, oh, I just want to stay in my Helix mattress. And that is because Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. So my mattress is perfect for me. That's why you sleep hard. Mm-hmm. I took the quiz.
0: I got matched with a Moonlight Lux mattress because I wanted something that felt soft but offered support. I sleep on my back, stomach, and sometimes side, but mostly my back. And, man, I sink right into that mm-hmm. baby.
1: Just go to helixsleep.com creepy. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering
0: up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at
1: helixsleep.com slash creepy. That's helixsleep.com slash creepy for up to $200 off and two free pillows. Ella is loving her Haya vitamins. I'll tell you what, she likes the lemon a lot. Mm. It's not not an easy thing to get a kid to be excited about vitamins, but um, Haya knows how to do it. Well, I mean, you got, I'm never excited about my
0: vitamins until I know that they're going to be flavored. So mm-hmm. I get where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. And actually, 93% of kids don't eat enough f- fruit and vegetables, but Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide full-body nourishment your kid needs with a yummy taste sounds like she loves.
1: Haya is supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals known to help support a healthy immune system, energy levels, brain function, mood, teeth, bones, and more. We've
0: worked out a special offer with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first
1: order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash CREEPY or enter code CREEPY at checkout. That's H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com
0: slash CREEPY and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Full discount applied at checkout. Public Goods is the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food. Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully
1: designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful streamlined aesthetic. I love the fancy soap. It, it like looks fancy, but it's
0: such a good price. But it's just very sleek and classy. And I will tell you, I'll have that dish, dish soap all day long. Paris Cooks, <laughs> I clean-ish sometimes. But I'm happy to do my dishes because I can just smell mm-hmm. the good soap. It all looks so that,
1: nice. And burn that candle. Yeah. Oh, my favorite candle. We've worked out an awesome deal. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right, they're so confident that you'll absolutely love their products and come back again and again. They're giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash creepy or use code creepy at checkout. That is
0: P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash creepy to receive $15
1: off your first order. Around the same time Ryan was going to bed, Kent Heidholt, sports editor for the Columbia Tribune, shut off his work computer in his office at 2.08 a.m. Colleague Michael Boyd was the last known person to see Heithold alive. Boyd was sitting in his car adjusting his radio when he saw Kent leaving the office. Boyd claims he chatted with Heithold about work for about three to five minutes. According to Boyd, he then drove away around 2.20 a.m., leaving Heithold in the parking lot, alive and alone. When driving down an adjacent alleyway, Boyd later told police he passed two people walking, Startling him so much that he nearly hit them. Well, and
0: they, you know, it's hard to remember what exactly happened. So Boyd said, "Well, we were talking outside the cars." Then he said, "Well, no, I pulled around, and it was through my window." And then he said, "Well, no, it was through the other window." But regardless, he he said, "No, we talked. We talked for about five minutes." Yep.
1: Around two twenty a.m., Shauna Ornt, a janitor for the Tribune at the time, stepped outside for a cigarette break. She noticed that Kent's car was still in the parking lot. And that the driver's side door was open. Shauna told 48 Hours. I had a gut feeling something was wrong. She called for her supervisor, Jerry Trump. Her suspicions were confirmed when she and Jerry saw two shadowy figures hovering over something on the ground near Kent's car. One of the men ran off. The other looked right at Shauna and yelled, Someone's hurt out here, man. Shauna told 48 Hours that the young man then casually walked away. Well,
0: that's your worst nightmare walking out of your office at 2 a.m. that anyone's in the parking lot. And
1: your colleague is laying on the ground in a very bloody fashion. Yes, mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah. it's terrifying. Well, yeah, you just
0: expect it's nothing, and then it's the worst nightmare version yeah. of something. Yes, and very quickly.
1: I mean, mm-hmm. he leaves his office around 2.08. It's a short walk to the parking lot. By 2.20... This has happened. So mm-hmm. it was a, that's such a short time. Very, very short time frame for something like this to happen. Panicked. Trump called 911 at 2.26 a.m. He said he could not identify any facial characteristics of either man. He noted one of them wore a baseball cap, pushed back far enough for him to see the man's spiky blonde hair underneath. They were both younger white males, around six feet tall. When officers arrived and interviewed Ornt, she told police she saw the man standing near the back of the vehicle Really good. She later provided police with a good enough description to make a composite sketch. And she also said that that man had blonde hair. Yes. And the composite sketch, in my opinion, looks nothing like Ferguson. And not even anything like Erickson, but definitely nothing like Ferguson.
0: No, 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 no. And, um... Like I said, Jerry Trump said I, I couldn't see him. Uh, you know he's an older gentleman, and he ran out after Shauna, so you know she she got the first mm-hmm. look, probably first and best look. And you know, like you said, it all happened so fast. But she was ex- she was sure she like looked him in the face when he said, "Someone's hurt out here, man," and was sure in two different interviews and two different composite sketches that she and you know composite uh appointments mm-hmm. that they came up with the sketch so she was sure about what she saw and it was not either of the folks that end up in jail for this yeah and they
1: both said they were tall and skinny dudes and mm-hmm. ryan's five eight and erickson's uh, five six yeah. they uh, yeah they're both five around five six yeah, yeah they um they were definitely not six feet uh-uh. the crime scene was grisly Kent had been both beaten with an object and strangled with his own belt. Police found unidentified fingerprints on and inside of Kent's car. There was also hair that did not belong to Kent discovered in his hand. Two sets of bloody footprints were located near the scene and led away down an alleyway towards a college dorm. Police discovered Kent's car door had been open at the time of the attack and closed after the attack. Someone had messed with documents inside his car, They're related to high school and college basketball programs, two areas of sports that Kent didn't cover. His wallet and broken glasses were inside the car, but his watch and car keys were missing.
0: Yeah, and it was... Some of his... I think his glasses were broken, and so the one lens was underneath the car, the other was inside on the seat. There was a notepad that was inside that had his blood on it, so maybe he was holding the notepad. And But it's like the killer scooped stuff up and shoved it in his car, Mm -hmm. and then I guess the killer or killer somebody eventually closed the door from the time Shauna Ornt saw it to the time police
1: got there. The door got closed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or perhaps the, um, the kids that walked up on it. Yeah. Somebody closed mm-hmm. it. For two years, Kent's murder went unsolved. Police chased down leads and interviewed witnesses, but came up empty handed. His family, colleagues and community grieved the inexplicable loss Unsurprisingly, the Tribune publicized the crime, hoping to find new leads. Then, two years later, in October of 2003, the Tribune ran a tribute article to their fallen colleague that gave them their biggest break yet. Kent Heithold attended the University of Missouri in the 1970s, where he studied journalism. It was there he met his wife, Deborah Evangelista. The couple went on to have two children together, Callie and Vince. Kent went to work for the Tribune as the sports editor in 1996. Deborah said her husband loved all sports, and his colleagues at the Tribune agreed. Joe Wall Jasper, who took over as sports editor after Kent's death, told the Tribune. He gravitated toward overlooked
0: sports and gave women's sports equal attention as men's sports. Sports reporter for the Tribune, Russ Bear kindly described his colleague to 48 Hours. Kent Hothole was a big, bubbly, friendly bear of a man. You know, a good guy, very relaxed, very friendly,
1: very laid back. Indeed, everyone that knew Kent spoke of his kind heart, warm personality, and his genuine desire to see others succeed. Colleague Teddy Allen told the Tribune, He got along with people because he was sincere and hardworking and an
0: example of how to do things the right way and still have fun. He helped young writers and young
1: wannabe writers. Heidi didn't give up on people. The night of his murder, Kent celebrated his fifth anniversary at the Tribune. This is definitely one of those people, everybody
0: that talks about him has got nice things to say. He fed stray cats in the parking lot. He would mentor people who had never written a day in their lives and wanted to be writers. He's like, doors are open. I will help you. Missouri is a very famous journalism school. So, I mean, he had the best training to be a journalist and then wanted to share that with other people.
1: He possibly could have been at the University of Missouri at the same time as Bill and Leslie Ferguson right yeah based on the timeline yeah he um he almost wanted to give jobs to the underdogs to the people that didn't have a lot of experience because he wanted to mentor them and, and see them come up and and succeed he had no time for egos mm-hmm. all every everyone on his team said he just he didn't um hover you know, he wasn't, uh-huh. he didn't micromanage, but if you ever had a question and went to him, he always had a joke. He always had a sincere answer. He always took care of him after meeting a deadline. They all went out and he would pick up the tab. And he was just a really, really nice guy. All the pictures of him, he just looks like a big teddy bear. He's a big guy. He was 6'5, six, five. Six, five, 300 pounds, which is another reason that, you know, all of his colleagues said, you would never think. Heidi would be attacked in a parking lot just cuz of his sheer size like nobody mm-hmm. would want to take that on. mm mm-hmm, Mhm, for sure. And he I mean that
0: late late night working and you think I'm a big guy, I'll be f- I can walk to my car. It'll be okay. I
1: can say hi to my colleague. It's a well lit parking lot for the most part. Mm-hmm. I mean there's it's not like it's a you know a, a, a dark um lot blocks away. It's right outside the office mm-hmm. building. They were working on a deadline, so that's why they were there so late. Yeah, you, it's You would never in a million years think this is what's about to happen to me. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, I think when you work
0: that job, you're used to those like long hours and, and, you know, your family's kind of used to it and everything like that. But I think, you know, lucky that the janitors happen to be there to at least see, you know, have some sort of leads because this was back in 2005. There's not security cameras in the lot Mm -hmm. or anything like that that could catch that type of evidence. You kind of have to rely on. Rely on eyewitnesses. Which is what
1: the prosecution did.
0: A little too much. Sinisterhood will be right back. Um, This is a horrible fact that I'm about to tell you about. Myself personally and 9 out of 10 Americans, we suffer from some type of gut issues. Gas, bloating, diarrhea, acid reflux. This is the
1: life I have to lead, so... (laughs) Well, lucky for you, we have a good probiotic that can help you with all of that. Probiotics are supposed to be an easy way to support your gut and immune system. But according to research, 99.9% of the probiotics on the market die in your naturally harsh stomach acid before they get where they're needed. I know that's
0: happened to me before, but not anymore. With Just Thrive, studies have proven that Just Thrive's proprietary formula arrives 100% alive in your gut so it can do what it's
1: designed to do. It's vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, histamine-free, and non-GMO, and safe for just about anyone at any age, including kids and moms-to-be. Plus, it's been loudly endorsed by some of the biggest health luminaries on the planet. So if you're looking to give
0: your body the crucial immune and digestive support it needs so you can feel your absolute best, there's
1: nothing like the award-winning Just Thrive probiotic. Get 15% off when you go to JustThriveHealth.com and use code CREEPY at checkout. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar.
0: It contains science-backed electrolyte ratios, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium with none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. When
1: you sweat, you lose sodium. When sodium isn't replaced, it's common to experience muscle cramps and fatigue. I suffer from charley horses in my Ooh. thigh,
0: and also I have the worst overnight calf cramps mm-hmm. that'll just knot up in the night, and I know that I have been neglecting myself when I get that, but just swig some element, and it goes away. There Good you to go. go. Element is so sure you'll love their products and come back for more that they are offering you a free Element sample pack that is eight single-serving packets, free. Just cover the cost of
1: shipping, $5 for U.S. customers. Get yours at drinkelement.com creepy. The steal is not available on their regular website. You must go to drinkelement.com creepy.
0: Soft, cozy, sustainable. Three words I don't usually use when describing my underpants. But that all changed when I tried Parade. Parade makes sustainable, creative basics so soft and comfortable
1: that you can't wait to put them on. This company launched only two and a half years ago with the mission to make underwear more accessible, inclusive, and self-expressive. Since then, they've sold over two million pairs. I filled that shopping cart and I uh, got some
0: underwear, got a, a long sleeve tee, got some bralettes and uh, it was great. I got some PJs. Oh so, yeah, everything's so soft and mm-hmm. seamless. I love it. It was easy to find my size too. From extra small to triple extra large parades, inclusive sizing means you will have zero trouble finding
1: that perfect bralette or pair of underwear. And for every parade purchase you make, they give back to organizations that support reproductive rights, racial equality, and LGBTQ plus communities. Upgrade your top drawer with an exclusive 20% off Parade. Go to yourparade.com slash creepy and use code creepy to get 20% off. That's yourparade.com creepy. After seeing the 2003 article in the Tribune, Charles Erickson began to question his memories from that Halloween night, or rather his lack of memories. Charles had experienced a drug and alcohol related blackout. His recollection of that night was spotty. And after reading the article and seeing the composite sketch, Shauna Orn had described to police, Charles worried he had been involved in Kent's murder, and that's um
0: severe, severe like blackout when you think I could have done this murder. But yeah. when he got home, he had no blood on his clothes, mm-hmm. no blood on his hands, no. I mean, he had no facts or details about the crime scene, but still, he had that. He could, He became obsessed with it.
1: Uh, yeah, there's um. To, to not know what you did, and then you're like, did I do the worst thing I could have mm-hmm. possibly done? And then maybe your mind starts playing tricks on you, and you almost mm-hmm. start to convince yourself. I mean, it is a whole thing that we'll get into in the second episode, false memory syndrome, where mm-hmm. this can happen, you know? And it's um when there's only one other person there that mm-hmm. might know, they're going to get dragged into this pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Charles found it too coincidental that he and Ryan had been partying at a bar 1,000 feet from the location of the crime. He called Ryan to ask him if he thought he had done the unthinkable. Ryan was confused and freaked out, according to an interview he gave Dateline. Ryan told Charles he didn't know what he was talking about and assumed that would be the end of it. Charles, however, had begun having dreams and flashbacks of events he thought were connected to the murder. He told his friends that he had dreams that he committed the crime. At a New Year's Eve party, Charles ran into Ryan, who once again reassured him they were never at the crime scene. But Charles's friends weren't so sure. Worried Charles may have actually murdered Kent Heitholt, they placed a call to Crime Stoppers. Well, and
0: you can't really blame the friends, because if you you know you overhear one of your pals tell the other, "Are you sure we didn't murder someone? I think that I murdered someone." I mean, all you can do is go off of what
1: you yeah. I mean, I think that. They did the right thing, yeah. but given the information, I mean, he m- multiple times said, "I'm having dreams." He, one of the friends in the in Dateline is interviewed and said he told us he was dreaming. You know, he had, he dreamed about bits and pieces of the murder, and if someone tells you that, you wouldn't assume how oh, he's just making this up because nobody would want to be responsible implicate. for that. Yeah,
0: yeah, you don't implicate yourself, right? But- He just he became it's so bizarre that this is this this is what set off all these chains of events is this one. He just became fixated on it and did not have the access to mental health resources to go to a therapist to help him work through this and go, listen, it's impossible for the following reasons. Let's get to the root of this. All he could do was cry for help, which was essentially what was happening. And that unfortunately leads to
1: all of this. Mm -hmm. After receiving the tip. Police tested Charles and Ryan's fingerprints against prints found at the crime scene. The results showed that neither of the prints were a match. Still, Charles told two more friends. He was concerned that he may have had something to do with the murder. Not knowing what else to do, his friends called 911. Caller. You uh, know the reporter at the Tribune that
0: was murdered and no one found out who it was? 911. Uh Uh-huh.
1: Caller. I I know what happened, and I know the murderer. This is um it's a I mean there's a lot of 911 calls placed in this this whole case. The 911 operator you can hear that she's like I'm about to get a confession to the mm-hmm. from the person that did. She just goes, "Uh-huh." Like, okay. "Yep, I know what's uh I know about that." Yeah. And mm-hmm. what do you do? Go to the police station, call 911. You're just like if I know this and I don't say something, mm-hmm. how am I going to live with myself? Because yeah. they're assuming this is true. You know, I mean, th- I haven't seen anything from those friends since then. But I imagine you're like, God damn, living with some guilt,
0: you know? Well, yeah. You know, you just say, some. like I said, someone comes up to you and goes... Oh my gosh, Like I killed someone and I totally you know, block- blocked it out, and now it's coming back to me. I don't know what to do. You think, well, it's you know, the right thing to do. I guess it's th- the family's asking for answers, the police, everybody's asking for answers, and you go, I can just tell you what I know, and that this guy told me he did it. Yeah. that's all I can tell you. You take the investigation the rest of the way, which they try to match it to the crime scene, and it doesn't match in which case you go, I don't know what this guy's talking about, but he didn't do it because we have physical evidence that he didn't do it. That's not that's not what happens here. They're like, square peg, round hole, fuck it, get a hammer.
1: And like you said, he's crying out for help and he doesn't Mm -hmm. have the means for mental health resources. At this point, when he is repeatedly confessing to something that they have evidence that he was not a part of, Mm -hmm. you need to call in some therapists. You need to get him help. Mm -hmm. It's not just continue to interrogate him and um, lead him down to answers that you want to give and get him some help. This was in 2003. Who's to say if maybe it would be different now, but Mm -hmm. it certainly wasn't then. No. Despite the evidence at the crime scene, having cleared him as a suspect, Charles Erickson was brought in by police for questioning on March 10th, 2004 Columbia detectives, John short and Jeff Nichols proceeded to interrogate the now 19 year old throughout the interrogation. Charles repeatedly said he didn't remember anything, that he had had dreams that seemed to be bits and pieces of the crime, but that he couldn't remember important details. He told them candidly at one point. It's just so foggy, like, I could just be sitting here fabricating all of it. Still, the detectives took turns hammering away at him. When Charles couldn't provide the answers they wanted, they fed them to him. When Detective Short asked Charles if he knew what was used to strangle Kent, it was apparent Charles did not. Charles... I think it was a
0: shirt. Short. Well, I know it wasn't a shirt. Charles. Like maybe, maybe it was a bungee cord? Short. Well, we know for a fact that his belt was ripped off his pants and he was strangled with his belt. Charles. Really? Short. Does that ring a bell? Charles. No, not not at all. I, I might not even know what I'm talking about. I, I don't know if I'm just flipping out. I'm making presumptions based on what I I read in the
1: newspaper these interrogations are hard to watch
0: the tapes yeah they're taped uh the the uh, videos are available on YouTube uh this we will is, link them in the
1: show notes as well yeah
0: duh, uh, they it, his the interrogation of Charles Erickson is extremely it's it's flat out worthless they get yeah. nothing out of him that was not in the newspapers they get nothing out of him that only the killer would know literally he goes maybe this and they go mm no nope. maybe this mm they go what about maybe if you just say it was this and he goes okay so I mean it's just leading him down the Primrose path. It is gross to watch. Mm-hmm. It is uh an, in my opinion, based on all the facts I've read, it's an abuse of power, it's disgusting, um, and it leads to uh ruining several people's lives.
1: Yeah, it's um when they start getting like like up, he's he's I mean, he's just sitting in this chair against a wall. He looks completely shell shocked. He's Mm -hmm. multiple times says like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I just like, I've had some dreams, you know, in the beginning. And then by the end of it, they have convinced him that he did this. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's saying, yeah, we were there. I was, I was standing there and Ryan was doing this. I mean, it's just like a complete 180. And you see the progression of him going from, not knowing what he's what he's even talking about admitting that multiple times mm-hmm. to the police beating him down so much and coercing him into a false confession and he was under the influence of drugs that day they had reason
0: to know that they still hammered on him they detained him without probable cause uh, especially given that like every statement he made about the crime was wrong like it was just straight up inaccurate about yeah. How many times was the victim hit? How was the victim strangled? How was his body found? What did the car look like? What did the parking lot look like? They had no probable cause other than this guy going, I don't know, man. I just was kind of drunk that night. So I don't know. I mean, you just go like, hey, we're going to get you hooked up with like a substance use counselor Mm -hmm. to maybe figure out what's going on here and not going, well, I'm going to just tell you stuff to say and then you say it
1: and then we're going to arrest you for the thing. Mm -hmm. Determined to get a confession out of Charles detectives drove him to the crime scene in an attempt to jog his memory video footage from the police cruiser showed a confused-looking charles on the way to their destination he appeared to not recognize the area even asking detectives where are we going yeah they they, they go okay this is where's the crime scene and he
0: goes i don't i don't know i've never been here and they point to the parking mm-hmm. spot and they go
1: that's it that's, that's where his scene, right car there. was parked this is where the body was found it's like well shit if you're already thinking I might be responsible for this because I've been having these memories. And then they start putting more images in your head of how it happened. Mm -hmm. One under the influence or with mental health problems might start thinking, even having those false memories of, oh yeah, you're right. I think the body was there. You know, I mean, they're just, Mm -hmm. they're without a doubt using their, to their advantage, the fact that this guy is struggling and, rather than get him help, they're like, We need an answer. We need to put someone behind bars for who did this. He, you know, they want an arrest and we got somebody saying that he did it and uh so here we go. And it's honestly I mean it's in my opinion it's pathetic because
0: yeah he over and over and over again he goes, I don't remember and they go, That's okay, we'll tell you. And then you can just say that you remembered it. And it's just like, that is the opposite of trying to find the truth. You just go, okay, well, he says he doesn't remember. Fuck. Well, they And not going, okay, walk us through what you do remember. They're like, was it a belt? Maybe you should say it was a belt. And he goes, well, I hit him one time. Well, he was hit a bunch of times. So did you maybe hit him a bunch of times? Yeah, And they interrogated him for several hours in a row. They kept him either confined to the room or they put him in the police cruiser. I mean, you start to get to a point where someone is nervous, scared, 19 years old. They will say whatever you he want does not say. have a lawyer present. No at lawyer. Any time. Not even like a friend, a mom. Can we call your your family member? Mm-hmm. You want to bring a buddy down here? I mean, it is
1: uh, it's rough to watch. Yeah. And they're not so blatant to say we're going to tell you what to say. No. But Mm-mm. that is very implied by everything that they're they're that they're doing. I mean, it's it's just shitty police where you watch it and you're like, this is a you guys are a joke. Yeah, try harder. Yeah, or just like I would be mortified if I watched those interrogation tapes back and I was those detectives.
0: Well, and esp- or let their boss to go, yeah. oh, God, what did you do? Mm-hmm. And especially with the timeline, he starts saying, okay, well, we left the bar and then, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, the, none of, this none adds of it up. fits. No. None of it fits. The puzzle doesn't fit and you're just cramming it
1: down. Yeah. In an effort to corroborate Charles's story, police initially interrogated Dallas Mallory on March 10th during the time they were also interrogating Charles. Mallory was an acquaintance of Charles and the two had been at the same Halloween party on the night of the murder. During his interrogation, Charles mentioned he and Ryan had seen Mallory in a car with two female companions stopped at a red light near the bar. So, two other detectives go and pick up Mallory and bring him and, in. And so bring now him they're in. each being questioned in separate rooms. Mm-hmm. Detectives confined Dallas to a small room and screamed at him because he would not agree with the officer's version of events, according to a civil complaint. Police nevertheless wrote in a report that Dallas saw Charles and Ryan the night of the murder that Charles told Dallas the pair had beat someone down and that Charles was holding something in his hand at the time. Police showed Charles this report containing Dallas Mallory's statement, claiming it proved Charles had done it. It was later revealed that this statement was fabricated and Mallory never made those statements to police.
0: Yeah. They picked up Dallas Mallory like around 10 a.m. And uh, he's like, I've never been to that bar. I did not see Charles downtown that night. And they said, okay, well, if you're so sure, would you do a computer voice stress analysis? Those have been found to be like 50% accurate. Um, he's like, yeah, I'll do it, which, again, get a Don't, lawyer. Yeah, oh, but I mean, these, lawyer, they're all young. And, you Screaming, know,
1: yeah. when you think that you're like, I know I didn't do this, so I'm just going to tell the truth and then it's going to be over with. And mm-hmm. that's not how it happens a lot of the times. And that's why even if you were innocent, always have a lawyer present. For
0: sure. And and they go, okay, we're going to put you on the stress analysis machine. Did you see uh, Ryan and
1: Charles the night of the murder? And he says, no. He said, no. Mm-hmm. He said, no. He said, um, I couldn't have. My license was suspended for a DUI. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a car. I wasn't even in that area that night. Mm-hmm. And so he tells him all this,
0: you know, quote unquote, fails the stress test. That's only 50 percent accurate. Uh, one of the officers just writes a report that says, yep, he saw him. He said that he was fidgety, which they spelled fidgety wrong, that he um, had beat someone down, that he had had something in his hand. They couldn't remember what he had in his hand. And then, yeah, the cops go in and go, hey, look, your friend Dallas Mallory's in the other room. And it's exactly like you said that, you know, you were seen downtown. And this person whose brain is scrambled from that night right. going, "Ah, oh, oh, God, well, I must have said that. He must have seen me when it's literally was just made up.
1: Here's a question. If they don't present that at trial, is that legal to do in an interrogation? Uh, Well,
0: in this case, I would say, so you can lie during an interrogation right, right. and I have to look at Missouri specific law. But the problem is they fabricated police reports and they later, like I said, they get sued civilly for it for violating this, the defendant's civil rights because... You are acting under the color of law. You're acting under your duty. You also just have to ask yourself as a citizen who pays taxes. Right. Do you want your cops to do this? Right. Yeah. And as a, a police officer that says, listen, I've sort to protect and uphold the law and serve and protect. You, you're like, I want to find the truth. I don't want to just go make stuff. up." It's just lazy police. It's work. very lazy.
1: Yeah. And it's life ruining for many of these people. So if they had not actually written a police report, but they had just gone in and said, listen. We've got Mallory in the next room. He's saying he saw you with a bloody object in your hand and he talked to you. That's all legal during an interrogation. Yeah, you're allowed to lie. Yeah, you're allowed to lie. Man, that doesn't sit right with me. I'll look up, I'll, before we, let me make a
0: note. I'll look up the Missouri law on it and other, other laws and we'll go over that in the next one. But, uh, yeah, off the top of my head, I believe you can just, it's fine. Which is wild
1: because, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, And this is going to sound super naive and like rose colored glasses, but you're asking someone to tell you the truth, but you're lying to them to get them to tell you the truth. It's like a parent lying to their kid to try and get them... To tell them the truth. You know what I mean? Like, I,
0: oh, for sure. And one, I think that the line kind of become the, the the line that you can't cross is fabricating evidence. So I think that's where they crossed the line here is that they fabricated this false police report versus coming in exactly like you said and going, well, your buddy's in the next room telling us that he did see you downtown. Uh, but even where that's the,
1: gross, though. Oh, for sure. 100 percent gross. Fed up with the lack of information Charles was providing. Detective Nichols became harsh, sitting within inches of Charles' face while raising his voice. You better start thinking very clearly because it's you that's on the chopping block. Am I clear to you? The detectives assured him that Ryan was hanging him out to dry and that if he confessed and gave up Ryan, he would receive a lighter sentence. Nichols, in short, painted a picture that Ryan and Charles robbed Kent high for money after running out at the bar. Eventually, Charles acquiesced to the story. Defeated, he told the detectives, I must have done it then. Despite having no knowledge of the crime, but for what he read in the paper, and no physical evidence linking him to the crime scene, Charles Erickson confessed to taking part in the murder of Kent Heitholt. He told detectives Ryan was the one who actually killed Kent. Afterwards, he said the two went back to the bar to continue drinking, an act that would have been impossible given that the bar closed at one thirty a.m. Charles was charged with second-degree murder and first-degree robbery.
0: And this is what I don't get, is that the timeline does not add up. Yeah, it just I mean, none of it doesn't adds add up. up. I mean, like I said, even if you go, okay, well, he could have blacked out and done it. It's like they have a rock solid alibi right. that they were, especially with Ryan's cell phone calls at when they were made and when. But the story that they made up, it's like they're not even good at fabricating no, evidence. They're not even good. Story. Yeah, and making a fake story because they go, okay, well, you th- here's here's what you did. You robbed them. You robbed them for more money to keep drinking, and then you went back to the bar, and it's like, no ding dongs. The bar closed
1: forty minutes ago, and Charles said, yeah, we went back in. The same bouncer let us in, and we kept drinking, and they subpoenaed the bouncer, and he's like, absolutely, that did, that did not happen. No, we closed at one thirty, and that that was it. The doors were locked. Like no one came back. These guys left at one fifteen. And the amount of
0: blood that it would have taken—I mean, oh, Ken Holt was bludgeoned, I think, eleven times with yeah. a somewhat of a metal object, and the—you can see that there's blood splatter on the car. Whoever did this would have been faced head to toe, yeah. shirt, arms, everything. You couldn't have just quickly done this and been and, like, like ran "Let's back go to back bar. and grab a drink." No, yeah, no. You would have been covered head to toe, and especially given that the footprints leading away from the scene were bloody. So at very, the bare minimum, their shoes were all bloody, right? And it was also well past when the bar closed. So like, not, like I said, it, these the police aren't even good at making stuff no, up.
1: No, and you know, by this point in the interrogation, Charles is, you know, giving up information that obviously is false, but that he's just fabricating because he's under the influence, or at least he had been earlier in the day, he's obviously not mentally well. He's like, they're like, what did you do when you, once you got back to the bar? He's like, well, I didn't really say much. I just, because I was upset what had just happened, you know, and Ryan ordered a drink, and it's like, you're watching this, you're like, none of this happened. He's just making it all but up. But this guy yeah. is just, you know, saying things that mm-hmm. are going to destroy his life, and the cops know that. They mm-hmm. know that he did not do this.
0: Yeah. And but, they are like,
1: but fuck it. We need to arrest somebody. And this guy is easy pickings. Oh, and,
0: and because you have... It was so highly publicized because he was a journalist. So his newspaper, rightfully so, is like, it's All been two time. years. Yeah. There's been no movement. You're looking like a bunch of goons that you can't catch somebody that did this. But the answer is not... The answer is we keep looking, that we don't yeah. let this go cold, that we keep pursuing leads. The answer is not shove the square peg in this round hole and go, "Well, whatever. He we just screamed at him until he admitted it, so it's fine. It works."
1: Yeah, not um not once was um you know, uh the last person to see Kent alive fingerprinted or um got a hair sample stuff that in a normal investigation, something like that would probably be done Mm -hmm. just because you're covering all your bases. You're, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. Boyd was interviewed several times. His story changed multiple times. Mm -hmm. His, including what kind of car he had been driving that night and his timeline of events. But they, um, they just let that ride for two years and then waited for kind of it just to Uh, something to fall in their lap yeah and and indeed it wasn't even close to what you know what fell in their lap
0: the time doesn't match the Mm -mm. forensics don't match nothing matches all they found what what fell in their lap was a blank slate and And they just painted a picture on it
1: you would think seeing seeing these tapes and knowing it all and then going to trial you would think that a judge would hear all of this and say what are y'all talking about None of this makes any sense. Just Mm -hmm. like, stop wasting my time. Why did this even come to trial? You know, but. Mm -hmm. uh,
0: What I'll say as an attorney is um, if you brought this evidence to me as a prosecutor, I would go, this is bullshit. I'm not taking this case. Mm -hmm. But maybe if I was a prosecutor going, man, I'd really like to win a lot. And this is really high profile. Maybe I could get elected as a judge.
1: Mm -hmm. I may take it. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. As he was leaving class at Maple Woods Community College on March 10, 2004, Ryan Ferguson was surrounded by a SWAT team, arrested, and brought into custody. Throughout his interrogation, Ryan maintained his innocence. He was adamant he had nothing to do with the crime. Multiple times, he called out the detective questioning him. You're trying to get me to admit to something I didn't do. I didn't do it. The detective continued to needle Ryan, proposing different scenarios for why he may have wanted to murder Kent. Ryan never wavered. Ryan. I'm innocent. Detective. Okay, so you're innocent of
0: killing this guy? Ryan. I'm innocent of even being there.
1: So many times they try and trip him up with the way they're asking things. Like, okay, so you're innocent of killing the guy. Like, implying we can catch you in a lie that you were there, though, and witnessed it. And maybe Charles. And, and Ryan, he sees through, which is quite honestly a testament to how smart he is because when you are just being mind fucked for that many hours and you're 19 years old to be able to consistently see through all of that and say i know what you guys are trying to do i know you're trying to get me to admit something i didn't do and i'm not going to do it yeah like well what if what if you could make this easier on yourself and he goes But you're saying the only way to do that is to admit to something I didn't do, and I'm not going to do that. He doesn't go, well, yeah, I'd love this to be easier on myself. You know, like all those little things that Uh at any – then they're like, that's what we wanted you to say. So now we can say, well, why do you want it to be easier on yourself? Are you feeling Mm -hmm. guilty of something? He, like, doesn't fall into any of their traps.
0: It's, like you said, it's extremely impressive, especially for a 19-year-old. And he said when they arrested him, he thought, okay, well, you know, I got to study for my final. So maybe I'll be home by the end of the day. Then I can start studying again. You don't ever think, oh, I'm I'm going to go in, protest my innocence. And they're still going to arrest me mm-hmm. based on a bunch of made-up stuff. But, you know, you get raised by a family with integrity that says, you know, don't lie. Don't tell, you know, if the police ask you a question, tell them the truth. And he just sits there and tells them the truth over and over and over again. And they don't like that answer.
1: no. Ryan's pleas of innocence went unheard. He was charged with first-degree murder and first-degree robbery. His bond was set for $20 million, the highest bond set for any defendant since Prosecutor Kevin Crane had joined the office in 1990. Bill Ferguson told documentarians that upon the judge's determination of bail, an audible gasp was heard throughout the courtroom.
0: Yeah, and Bill didn't find out he got arrested until a journalist showed up at his doorstep yeah. and said, do you have any comments on your son being arrested? And Bill said, what? And the journalist goes, oh, no, you don't know.
1: The uh, And Leslie got a call from a friend, and she said, no, this has to be a different Ryan. There's no way that th- this could happen. And then they're like, no, this is our worst nightmare. I mean, I don't even know if it's your – it is your worst nightmare, but you don't normally think this could be our worst nightmare.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you're going to be in denial. And also, Ryan Ferguson's a pretty common name. Like, she, mm-hmm. she's not wrong to go, oh, well, it could be a different one. Uh, this, I think, is the, the $20 million bond is the first piece of evidence I have, in my opinion, that this was a dick swing for this yeah. prosecutor, yeah. that it was a show off. The, if you watch trial footage, the dramatic flair way that he does the trial, all the comments he made in the media, the fact that it was highly publicized, the fact that there was no fucking evidence mm-hmm. and they still did it. But setting a twenty million dollar bond for a little nineteen year old kid who's like a no criminal, you know, he's no like, criminal record. Yeah. No. And he's and it's just a way to go this we've caught a criminal mastermind it's so dramatic it's so pathetic. it's going to make headlines it's i mean so pathetic, yeah, yeah it's
1: it's just a yeah as a splashy um thing to do oh for sure that's a great way to it was splashy ryan's trial opened on october 17 2005 prosecutor kevin crane admitted in his opening statement that there was no physical evidence connecting ryan to the murder dna from the scene was not a match to either ryan or charles The bloody footwear impressions did not match either Ryan or Charles' shoe sizes. The fingerprints at the scene did not belong to Ryan or Charles. Crane's case hinged entirely on two eyewitnesses, and one of those eyewitnesses had only seen the crime scene in his dreams. If you have information relating to the murder of Kent Heitholt, please contact the Columbia, Missouri Crime Stoppers at 573-875-TIPS or 573 875 8477 you can also go to 875 tips.com so what do we think
0: Ooh, yeah it's um a situation where i think somebody had um substance use issues mental health problems and rather than getting the treatment that they needed they were just kicked into the criminal justice system taken advantage of uh an yeah, understatement now- The amount, what I've thought, I mean, let's go from the human perspective, starting with the victim. Family gets denied justice. They think they get justice. Turns out it's a denial of justice. They're drugged through a trial that we'll go through in the next one that for the person didn't even do it. Ryan Ferguson's family, again, Charles Erickson. Ryan and Charles spend time in jail. Their families do but if you think, and so that's the emotional impact of that. You have a community that thinks that something's resolved that isn't. The emotional impact of you have to now know that the police department in your town is full of people willing to do this, or at least these officers at issue were willing to do this. The prosecutor was willing to do this. From a fiscal perspective, the. Mm. Millions of dollars Mm -hmm. that were Mm -hmm. wasted of taxpayer time, money, resources, the jury's time that was what everybody's time was wasted. Like I said, I think the the human impact is the worst. But I am fired up right now when you think about because I think it's not a political issue of going like, well, I'm pro police or pro. We should all be pro justice. We should all be pro Responsibility, and this is an extreme, extremely irresponsible use of my taxpayer resources, and also it undermines the the trust that the public has in the system, and it's disgusting. This whole case gets me fired up. I cried throughout the the dream. A killer documentary on Netflix because you know I was so sad and then after going over that I just got pissed off mm-hmm. I'm just so mad every time I think about criminal justice reform I don't think it's like oh we need to take money away no it just needs to be allocated in proper places and also safeguards in place because there's no bigger waste of money than what amounts to later a multi-million dollar lawsuit mm-hmm. against a city who did a bunch of stuff willfully knowing it wasn't even negligent it wasn't no. even like oh well we accident It they intentionally falsified Documents. They intentionally took a case that was a house of cards. I mean, you blow it over. They hid evidence in violation of the Constitution. So I'm like, as a flag waving American, you know what? This pisses me off. Mm -hmm. This pisses me off because we have a Constitution, we have protections, we have systems that should work. That in in this case, you go, or was it kind of set up that way to just go? It's a pipeline that somebody has a substance use problem and a mental health problem, and their ass just gets kicked straight to jail instead of taken care of. I'll get off my soapbox now, but I'm fired up.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I agree with everything you said. And then just by being guilty by association and you just happen to yes! give somebody a ride that night and then your name two years later, who's thinking about what they did on Halloween two years later? Mm-hmm. And then all or, of a yeah. sudden this comes out and you're like, what are you talking about? And next mm-hmm. thing you know, you're in, in jail for it? Yeah, just because somebody is struggling and doesn't have the resources
0: to get the help that they yeah. need.
1: that it's, You just leave them to the wolves. It's... um. Watching the interrogation tapes got me real fired up. I mean, it's the the body language of the, de- these detectives. It's so it it's just so gross, and it's so textbook how to play good cop, bad cop. And it's just it's like, guys. Have some dignity. Like, you look, mm-hmm. you look, act like you've been there before. Like, they just look inexperienced. It's just very cringy. You know, he's just sitting back, like, the cop's just sitting back in his chair, like, waving his legs like a toddler. His feet aren't even reaching the ground. Good and he's God. just, you know, like, well, you know, I mean, we all have done things that we're not proud of. So, you know, I am i can't fault you for that. Like, trying to get be their friend, be the good guy. Ryan's like, I get that. And I've done things in my life that I regret, that I didn't want to admit to, but this is not one of them. I have nothing to do with this. And he's frustrated. He's like, man, I don't know how many times I have to tell you, I had nothing to do with this. You guys want me to say I did. I didn't. And Paige its just, I wonder if at any point that detective thinks to himself, you know what? Maybe he didn't do it. Maybe I am wrong. And maybe I should take a step back and and leave this room and go, you know, talk to someone about this. Or if they're so up their own asses that they're going to get a conviction and mm-hmm. get a confession that they're they're blind to what's really
0: going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you you lie to yourself. What's well, interesting in, in going through, you know, wrongful conviction cases, and that is definitely like a passion project of mine that I, you know, like read books or you know, follow, you can get emails from the Innocence Project, always a shout out for them, um, donate to them, get emails from them. You see some in some cases, that's the case where they go. I'm so invested. The detective says, I'm so invested in this. I'm going to falsify evidence. I'm going to fabricate things and whatever. And then you go to the prosecutor and they go, yeah, there's a lot of holes in this This is Swiss cheese. I can't take this to a court. Do better. Then in other cases, you see where the cops go, well, this person confessed. But boy, here's about 15 reasons why they probably didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's the case. And the prosecutor does what they're supposed to do constitutionally and sometimes under state law and goes, Okay well, we'll take the case, but i'm going to turn all this exculpatory evidence over to the defense so they have a chance at a free you know at a fair trial, and we'll see in this case, neither of like both of the worst things happened mm-hmm. yeah, I think you had the cops that were wanting to the all they were blinded by their own egos and wanted to just do what they had to do, falsifying documents when we later find out according to the civil complaint. then you also have a prosecutor that instead of going. Wow, you know, there's a lot of holes in this. I don't think I can make this fly. Going, mm, I'll cram it in there. He's we'll figure like, it out. I'll hold do my it very... beer.
1: I'll figure out. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. He goes, let me just give this guy acting lessons and we'll just mm-hmm. put on a show for oh, him, which man. is exactly what happens yeah. in the trial. And so I think what you have, you have two failures here where I think what we would hope in that that Brady um, continuing education class I sat through that was put on by the, the police chiefs organization every single officer that was presenting in that, one of them was the gentleman who had wrongfully convicted a guy based on um, mm-hmm. an eyewitness, and he deeply regretted it, and he's now become friends. That could be a case we could do. He's now become, not quite friends, but I mean, the acquaintances, and they do speaking engagements together also with the victim who wrongfully identified this gentleman, and wow. he talks about the failures that they had as a police department that he felt really guilty about it, and it was kind of a cautionary tale of here's how to be better at your investigation because in this case, I mean in, in every wrongful conviction case he kind of puts it that way I failed the victim and I, fa- I failed this woman who I told her you're safe now the person mm-hmm.
1: that did this to you is behind bars and that was a lie and, and I live with that regret. And it's a great way to like not right a wrong but at least turn that wrong into a teaching tool mm-hmm. and like a cautionary tale for others and say like I can't undo what I did but I'm going to try and help it not happen again for for other people. Oh, absolutely.
0: And that's what he said. He goes, you know, when your phone rings and it's Barry Sheck who started the Innocence Project, you know, you kind of your stomach drops and Mm -hmm. you think, oh, God, what happened? What have I done? Because he goes, we never want to put the wrong person behind bars. And I I have full faith that this, um, I think he was a Richardson, which is a suburb of Texas police officer and is now uh chief of another uh location. So it's like, you know, he, he's a good one. You know, he's like, I really didn't want to do this. And so if every cop was like him or every cop's like Art Acevedo, where they go, the purpose is the truth. Mm-hmm. But what you have is these failures in the system where what should have happened was you have these cops that are doing their job badly and They're just doing what they have to do to get this conviction because it's in the newspaper and maybe they want to get a, um, you know, they want the arrest so that they can get a promotion or whatever, which I don't think that's the vast majority of police. But it's definitely we're all, you know, a lot of us are all pushed by our own ego. Well, the check on that then should be you have a prosecutor go, no, there's holes in this case. Yeah, there were no checks and balances. The checks and
1: balances that are set up for this kind of stuff failed hard.
0: And then you turn it to and I have friends who are who are. Police officers, I have friends who are prosecutors. It's part of being a lawyer. And I would say... The, they I know they would never do that. They would never falsify evidence. Or the DAs I know would go, this is bullshit. There's holes in this case. but in I this would case, be embarrassed to take this It's to embarrassing. Trial. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. When I was working on one of my Innocence Project cases, was a, well, it wasn't a case, but it was a research project of like, well, you know, how do you figure out what to do when you find out a prosecutor has either withheld evidence or falsified evidence? And I texted a friend of mine and said, hey, this is a weird question, but what would you think would be something we could charge a prosecutor under or what would be like a good cause of action? I'm asking to prosecute a prosecutor and they I'm intentionally not gendering them. they they said get them here's some ideas go get them they make my profession look bad I'm really proud of the job that I have I'm proud of what I do and they make the the job that I have um, they they tarnish the job that I do and it's like you know when you have people that go uh, one prosecutor can do better than 100 defense attorneys because they just don't bring the charges this would if Kevin Crane just didn't bring the charges and go Mm -hmm. this is bullshit we wouldn't be here. Ryan Ferguson wouldn't have lost so many years of his life. Charles Harrison wouldn't have lost so many years of his life. And maybe the cops would have turned their brain to finding the right people, and Kent Heithold's family would have a better answer than they do now.
1: Yeah. It's, um... I can't say it any better than you did. Uh, it's just fucked, up. Up. It's fucked all the way around. That's uh, my uh, <laughs> summation, That's, you know what? summation of it all. Yeah, and um, the biggest time lost is... Uh, a decade of someone's life in prison and somebody else that's still in prison for this. And also that there is still someone that brutally murdered an innocent man, just walking around just out free,
0: just doing whatever. Yeah. Horrifying.
1: Yeah. It's truly horrifying. It's, um, it's just unfathomable. You watch these things, these documentaries and you think, God damn, this happens. A lot too. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. This is one that we happen to have heard about that yes, like right? I said, his he
0: Ryan Ferguson is very privileged to have a father who had the resources to fight for him, to have the resources to spread his message. It just so happens it gets picked up by national media. It just so happens that a famous uh, exoneration attorney happens to see it, and the thousands and thousands and thousands of applications that come into not just the Innocence Project, but tons of other, um, exoneration and uh, you know, organizations every year. Just you know, like, you kind of go, well, everybody's going to say they're innocent or whatever. But I think the estimation is something as high as two percent of people are wrongfully convicted. Mm. Which sounds low, but I'm like zero percent of people
1: Right. Are I mean, that's it's depicted. not low when there's millions of people in the prison system. And
0: that's exactly what it is. Yeah, when you do the numbers, that's a ton of people yeah. and so and not enough resources. So that's why it's important to have you in know, conviction integrity units and know who your DA is and make sure. You know, you text me the other day, you're like, Hey, we're we were talking about like there's gonna be uh the election for the mm-hmm. district attorney is coming up and we were talking about pros and cons of different um candidates and everything. So Being uh, keeping your finger on the pulse of what's going on, and you know, your city usually it's like your council um, elects a police chief, and you know, making sure you know who your council person is, you know, what their feelings are. Um, So, I think we get kind of I know I get, you know, you kind of go, OK, what's the big picture? We need to do sweeping reforms. Right. But all I mean, a ton of this stuff absent like a Supreme Court case that says, OK, well, you can't you know, you have to turn over exculpatory evidence, which is Brady, which was like a 1960s Supreme Court case. But everything, a lot of everything else is piecemeal. It's local and it's state. Mm-hmm. And so getting involved and knowing and making sure your your, you know, politics or your wants for the system, how you think it should be kind of aligns with. Who's in charge? But
1: fucked all around. You nailed it. (laughs) Yeah, well, we will get into um, the fucked all around trial, uh, plural, and um, appeals and all Mm -hmm. sorts of stuff in the next episode. It's wild. Well, we have got some improv shows coming up that if uh, you want to come see us do some stuff on a stage instead of just listen to us talk behind a mic... Here is your opportunity. Yeah, and I promise I will not rant to you about turning the system around. Um, That's I'll not just... true. I'm going to tear up in a scene. I'm going to get her going so you can all hear it again.
0: <laughs> I don't, I try not to play attorneys in every scene, but sometimes people will be like, okay, I need to get a divorce. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to be a lawyer. <laughs> Todd Anderson is particularly uh, loves to talk about either Mesquite or um, me being an attorney, but you can come see the cult. Hey, it's me and another attorney, uh, Raymond oh, Fisher, yeah. as well as Christy, Tommy, Jade, Nick Scott. It's uh, quite a lineup. We love the cult. Those are my favorite shows ever. Mm -hmm. And we are playing February 25th at 730. We're also playing the same time slot as Gerald, another very funny troupe. And then that same night at 9 p.m., Christy and I are in Hot Dish, mix them up with all kinds of funny people from the Dallas comedy community. Those are all at Dallas Comedy Club. And also, Christy, I'm very excited. March 10th at 9 p.m., what are you doing
1: So I have always wanted to do um, this show, this this idea of a show, and um, our friend Kate Grogan put this show called People Presenting Things Together at DCC, and other comedians have created PowerPoints and slideshows, and then um, some of us, for the first time ever, will be seeing on stage an assigned PowerPoint or slideshow to us that we then just have to improvise and and make up for a couple minutes um, on the spot, like what is going on? I've this this kind of show has been around for a while, and I've always thought it would be. Very fun to do. And so when she asked if I want to do it, I said, Of course. So March tenth, nine PM. Come watch me um just scramble to act like I'm an expert at something that's <laughs> probably just a bunch of pictures of like ducks or some shit. I don't <laughs> I don't know. I I'm the call was put out, do you want to make the slideshow? Do you wanna be a presenter? Or do you wanna do both? I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm not the best at like PowerPoint like putting together like technology type stuff so I said you know what I'll just riff on it but I'm excited to see what fellow comedian um, did put something together that um, I can uh, make some jokes about you're giving me a look was it you maybe
0: no I haven't yet okay. but I'm going to
1: message Kate Grogan after this and ask her if I can make you a <laughs> PowerPoint <laughs> oh man if they haven't if it hasn't already been de- I'm sure it hasn't because it's in my Mar- I couldn't do the one in February um, because we have Hallmark After Dark Oh, so yes. um, ask her if you can do the one for uh, the one in March. Oh, my gosh. Let's see if I think of something. And that, then you um, can come watch. And then everyone can come sure. watch um, how Heather tried to stump me.
0: I'm trying to think of all the things you've told me. Like, I don't understand this or I hate oh, this. anything and with I'm
1: geography, like, I am I feel like uh,
0: Jim when he's like, I know what Pam likes. But more importantly, I know what she hates. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> uh, that'll be fun. We'll see if we can world,
1: do World or World or World World, 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 world. Stop saying World world Worldle World World word, Wordle is something we're all playing, but World is one that is like Wordle, but it's just geography. It is so effing hard. I got nothing, man. I'm so bad at that. It's it's so hard. And I laughed out loud at myself at how bad I was doing the other night. So yeah, anything geography or science related. Uh it's going to be a lot of just made up bullshit. But um yeah, I couldn't do the one in February because of Hallmark After Dark, which is That's a right. very fun thing we have coming up in just a couple days.
0: Yeah, after you're going to listen to this on Wednesday, February 9th and tomorrow, so Thursday, February 10th, you got to come hang out with us on uh Crowdcast we're doing a valentine's movie and kind of mystery science theater 3000 kind of riff on it we did it at christmas with uh the spirit of christmas which was about a lady who makes love to a ghost it's so, so great. we'll see what this one's about uh we picked it based just on the log line so we we watched part of the trailer and stopped and thought you know what we're gonna save it all so we haven't seen so it good. we've only read the the quick log line of the movie um, so, yeah, that would be February 10th at 8 p.m. Central. And if you're listening to this after February 10th, no worries. It's available on demand. So go to Patreon and you can uh, check it out on demand. Someone said they listened to the December one as like a way to unwind. They're like, I just turn on the old mm-hmm. Hallmark
1: After Dark and listen to it. And I'm like, that's I love that. That's so nice. We also got the documentary discussions going on. and So excited. In February, every Friday at 1230 Central Time, we live stream and just an open discussion of a documentary. We watched that week. The documentaries are listed on our Patreon. Last week was Hands on a Hard Body, which I'm still thinking about. Yeah. So good. Did not disappoint. Uh, this week it is Minding the Gap, which I've also heard great things about. I'm going to be watching it tomorrow night, so I'm, I'm, excited. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, but And it's on Hulu. I found it. I found it on Hulu. Nice. So the Hulu. Hands on the Hardbody,
0: I was at brunch, and I told uh, Megan and uh, Darby, a friend of ours, and I said, oh, yeah, it's Hands on a Hardbody. And Darby goes, that was my bucket list. <laughs> she said, I wanted to do that contest oh, wow. so bad. I said, well, well, go check it out. The documentary is great, and so you can watch Hands on a Hardbody and then go back and watch. Might not want um, to do
1: it after you watch the documentary.
0: I don't want to compete yes. in that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I would say watch it Brutal. and you see it goes very wrong. But yeah. watch hands on a hard body, then you go to the Patreon and you can watch the archive of our documentary discussion mm-hmm. and then perf- uh perform uh participate this week. So we got those every Friday in
1: February at 12:30 Central. What, Heather? Do we have coming up in March on Fridays? Oh, my goodness. We should have done
0: this at the top of I've, the show. I was thinking we should have <laughs> earlier. We are going to do Freaky Friday. We're going to just start doing Freaky Friday. Every Friday, we're going to just read uh, letters from you. Folks send us stuff in. They tell us about when they've seen uh, a ghost or had sleep paralysis and something standing at the end of their bed. They've had a brush with true crime. They've had an alien encounter. Seen UFOs, yeah. Seen UFOs, uh, something deja vu, psychic. You had some sort of incident that uh, that occurred. Anything freaky, we want to hear about it on Freaky Friday. If you, for instance, if you switch souls with Jamie Lee Curtis and, you know, you... Oh yeah. That was, you know, that's going to be something we want to hear about. Mm-hmm. So we have a forum, com slash Freaky Friday. Um, it gives you some info on there about kind of like what we're looking for. There's a drop-down menu. Give us your name, your pronouns, and Uh, type out kind of what's happened and then we'll get on here and read it and talk about it because we've just gotten so many great stories. I think kicking it off is the story from the greatest storyteller of all, one of our absolute favorite human beings, George Brown. So tune
1: in in February, I'm sorry, March. March, Tune in in March. Yes, yes, it will drop on our main feed um, on March. So that will be available to everybody. We're super pumped to be doing that. As Thank you. You also get some sweet perks like ad-free
0: episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker that we send you. We draw a ghost on the back. It is from us directly. Membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those enrolling the airwaves and getting into it tier. Special shout out on the show. Monthly bonus mini This last one was Havana syndrome. The next one coming up it's going to be about uh, some funeral home drama in the Dallas Oof. area that's wild. 17 yes. lawsuits, crazy stuff. And you also get patron-exclusive video and audio content. We do Judge Christie. Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Dear Sinister,
1: Wet It, Unpopular Opinions. The list goes We have on. a lot of segments we do. Yeah, a lot. A- There's a lot of variety on pa- You know what? <laughs> I'm biased, but I think we have a great Patreon I think we do because, um, and it
0: luckily benefits everybody else, but we're like... Well, we're bored with that. Let's do another thing. Yeah. And then we go, well, let's do another thing. We like to continue to create and come up with new things. And then folks will go, what about that other thing from before? And we're like, we'll put it back in the rotation. Yeah. So yeah. we'll listen. If you're like, hey, we missed this segment, we'll go back and do it. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. We're into it. We also are obsessed with our new Crowdcast platform and live stream now all the time. Yes. We do the little monthly live Q&As on Crowdcast. We do our monthly bonus uh, content where instead of just recording it, we live stream it to you. That's on Crowdcast. We're doing Hallmark After Dark where we joke about the movie on Crowdcast and Don't documentary you just got to look it all up there's too much for us to tell you right mm-hmm. now we just there's got a lot. a lot going on it
1: is a lot you also have the fun perk of access to our discord server where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime share personal ghost stories or just post adorable pictures of your pets we'll also hop on occasionally and like heather said we host monthly q a's where you can ask us all your burning questions patrons not in the u.s you now have the option to pay in pounds or euros saving you the cost
0: of the conversion fee annual memberships for all tiers are also now available and you should select this option because it's
1: better because you get a free month of membership it's very smart for more details on all of this and specific member tiers visit sinisterhood.com and click patreon on the top banner and make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout out and our thank you corner So
0: many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. I love the racerback tanks I got. And they were featured on BuzzFeed's Top Things You Need If You're a Grown-Up Goth. I'm not, but if you are, you and I can be (laughs) twinsies in our racerback tanks. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com
1: and click Shop in the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure.
0: You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod, and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where can they find you on Twitter and where can they find that adorable picture of Petal in the snowstorm?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm on Twitter at Christy or GTFO. I rarely tweet. I always am like, you know what, I should tweet more. And then i just don't it
0: means you have to get on twitter yeah come on now. and then
1: that's the whole thing um but yeah we recently had an ice storm and petal when she can't go outside and it's cold she nests and um her idea of nesting is quite destructive so uh you can see that picture at christy m wallace heather what about you I
0: am on Twitter. I, I tweet sometimes, rarely. Um, at MCK versus the world, and on
1: Instagram at Heather versus Have the world. Have you uh, posted any pictures of how you nest?
0: Yes. How do you I do. nest? Well, do you
1: rip it's... up your bed and just lay amongst the fluff? <laughs> because that's what Petal does.
0: Oh, my gosh, I do. Well, uh, you my... Petal,
1: like you've said before, you have a lot in common.
0: <laughs> we are a lot in common. Uh, my Instagram is entirely, it's like every other picture is Paris or the dogs. So
1: that's pretty well, much Well, there it. you go. There, <laughs> there you go. I mean, mine are all um, yeah. my kids or yeah. uh, my pets. So, you know, and occasionally yeah. I'll throw in a picture of myself or you, yeah. Yeah. my yeah. favorite things. Yeah. And Same. I actually have decided I'm going to start doing something on Mondays. Oh, I love this. So, um, tune I'm, in. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna put a timeline on it because I've been thinking about this for months and I haven't done it. So, maybe I should give myself a timeline, um, because then that will make me do it. I have, as you know, I collect tarot cards, I have oh, probably like 10 decks. Mm-hmm. So, I've decided I'm going to start doing Mystic Mondays. Love it. Where, um, uh, I'm gonna start doing some tarot posts because one of my 2020 20, 20 resolution. Or what year are we in? Christ Almighty. It's yeah, been 2020. 2020 for two years. 2022 resolution was to um, hone my psychic uh, and yeah. witchcraft abilities, which when I said this around Paris, he goes, Fuck yeah. That's not <laughs> a resolution you hear from many people. That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, Thank you. <laughs> now you know the supportive environment that oh, I live in uh, every Paris day. Paris is the most supportive. He's great. So uh, I'm to help myself with that. I was like, I got some really badass tarot decks that I bet people would like to see, Mm -hmm. and then I can um, also help myself. So look for that at some point. Um, Yeah, look for that. I'm into it. I'm into it. Yeah. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy.
0: Hey, everybody, thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs Sarah Kuntz, Jennifer Crawweek, Aditya
1: Romanowitz, Leanne Gloss-Vaghetti, Lindsay Witt, Megan Stanford, Brittany Luckett, Nicole Rich, Colleen E., Bobby Chapman, Alyssa Birchfield, Robin, Mary Robles, Shannon Marie, Beth Francis, Brittany Beckworth, Amanda Chapman, Sydney Gleisner, Allen, Marley Allen, Megan. Mar Swanson. Sadie Westfall. Sada Stearns. Dana Helbert. Calla Byrne. Ashley Newhauser, Samantha Marie Wari. Salvador Rodriguez. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. We couldn't do this without you. We hope we said your names correctly. We appreciate you so much. We also appreciate Emily Smith.
0: Yes, this is our thank you corner. I cracked open the the old P.O. box and found a lovely box inside of it, and we got a Chupacabra book for the kids. It's so it?
1: cute. It's the same um, author and illustrator that did the Monster ABCs, the um, Krampus kids' book, and now this one is Chupacabra. It's called Please Don't Eat Me, Chupacabra, and it is very funny. And it's also... In English and Spanish. So I'm reading it to them in Spanish. They get they um, get some education. And it's uh, Ella requests it every night. So it's Aww. it's very cute. Thank you so much, Emily. And also inside the same box was a bag of Bunch of
0: Crunch, which we talked about. And she wished me a lovely bridal shower. And so I truly appreciate Aww. it. I, I've been snacking on the Bunch and Crunch here and there. It's great. It has a resealable top. So I could Ooh. like have some, put it back, have some, put it back. Nice. Sometimes just have some. So thank you so much, Emily. We really appreciate it. It was very lovely.
1: Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy.